Hello, I'm Sarah Chapalak, and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today we ask, could Graham Dwyer win his appeal against his conviction for the murder of Elaine O'Hara? And what does his case mean for future investigations? Conor Gallagher is the Irish Times crime correspondent. Conor, does Graham Dwyer really think he has a chance of getting out of prison? Yeah, he does. As I understand it, Dwyer, who's obviously serving a life sentence at the minute, is very confident in his appeal. He believes that he will be a free man and, you know, a jury or the Court of Appeal will rule that the evidence against him was not enough to convict him of murder. Many people who were convicted of murder appealed their cases. You've really nothing to lose. The automatic sentence is a life sentence, so you might as well try and appeal it as the thinking. But most of them don't have much of a hope and most of them even don't pay too much attention to their appeals. Dwyer's different. Dwyer's paying very close attention to his appeals and is is said to be very involved with his lawyers in drafting the strategies. So he's someone who's very involved and very engaged in in the appeal process. Let's pause for a quick reminder before we get into this story. Graham Dwyer, the former architect from Fox Rock in Dublin, he was convicted of murdering Elaine O'Hara in 2015. Dwyer is now appealing his conviction, arguing that phone records vital to the prosecution's case should never have been used. Dwyer's release would be unthinkable for so many people, but his appeal could have big implications for other criminal investigations too. Today we ask Connor to explain what Dwyer's appeal is all about, how likely he is to win, and how the case could make it harder to catch other murderers. But to do that, we first have to go back and remember the details of this case. And this podcast will contain information of a disturbing nature, and it is not suitable for younger listeners. Connor, can you take us back to 2015, when Graham Dwyer was on trial for the murder of Elaine O'Hara? What did we learn about him, about Elaine, and what happened between them? Sure. Elaine O'Hara was a 36-year-old woman, a vulnerable young woman who was preyed upon by Graham Dwyer. Dwyer himself was a South Dublin architect, a married man and a father of two, who was obsessed with the idea of stabbing and killing women. He groomed Elaine O'Hara, made her do degrading and dangerous sexual acts while she was in a very vulnerable place. And this all came to a head on August 22nd, 2012, when he lured her to an isolated location and presumably stabbed her to death. I say presumably because we never got a cause of death in this case. Elaine O'Hara's remains were found a year after she went missing, but the remains had been damaged by animals, so it didn't provide a very complete forensic picture. One of the only reasons it wasn't ruled a suicide was a remarkable coincidence that happened several miles away on the same day. A group of fishermen at the Vartry Reservoir noticed some objects in the water. That reservoir is usually several feet deep, but it had been a really dry summer, so it had been at its lowest point in in living memory and it was only inches deep that day. The fishermen fished out a whole host of objects. These included sex toys and bondage equipment. But much more importantly, it included two mobile phones, it included Elaine O'Hara's keys, and it included her glasses. And those were the clues which would eventually lead to Graham Dwyer's arrest and his ultimate conviction in 2015 and the imposition of a life sentence shortly afterwards. 
In Dwyer's trial, it ran for nine weeks and we don't have time to go through all the evidence that was heard in the trial. But can you take us through the main pieces of evidence that were crucial in convincing the jury to convict Dwyer and how that evidence was uncovered? Yeah, there's a huge amount of exhibits in this case. We had little actual forensic evidence, but what we do have is a huge amount of circumstantial evidence, which taken together made a fairly airtight case. First pillar, I suppose, was the type of person Graham Dwyer was. This was a sadistic person who was obsessed with harming women, and we had a huge amount of evidence to support that. For example, Mr. Dwyer's ex was called as a witness. She recalled one night when Dwyer told her that his fantasy involved stabbing a woman while having sex with her, and that he would pretend to stab her during sex. We found a huge amount of disturbing content on his electronic devices, including a document called Killing Darcy. Uh, the trial heard from this woman, Darcy. She was an American woman who had met Dwyer online and Dwyer had offered to kill her. And he wrote this document, Killing Darcy, detailing in explicit detail how he would do it. And it, he even had Photoshop images of, of this woman with stab wounds photoshopped onto her. So that pillar of evidence was used to build up a picture of what type of person Dwyer was. And what about his victim, Lane O'Hara? What did we find out about the kind of person she was? This is important. The second pillar was what type of person Elaine O'Hara was. As it showed the jury that she was the perfect victim for, for Graham Dwyer. She was lonely. She was vulnerable. She was someone who had, at times, very severe mental health issues. Someone... He thought, at least, that if she went missing, people would think uh, it was a suicide. Uh, we heard medical records and evidence from her friends that she was a childlike woman and wore her heart on her sleeve. Um, one medical chart that was read out in court just said the words, support of dad, no friends. She was willing to take risks to alleviate her loneliness. Um, and this included meeting up with men she found online on fetish sites and, and BDSM sites. And it's believed that one of these sites is where she first encountered Dwyer, who used the name Architect 77. She had a desire for company and for a normal relationship. She wanted a child. She desperately wanted a child. We heard that she loved children and worked in childminding. And for the chance of having a child, she would put up with a huge amount of abuse. She would let Dwyer stab and suffocate her. This was when Dwyer was basically offering to give her a child if she would help him kill someone, as he phrased it, a life for a life. And she was someone who feared for her life towards the end, certainly. The trial heard that on the night before... He murdered her. She was coming to the end of a spell in psychiatric care and was being released that day. And a nurse suggested that Elaine go to the Gardaí and tell them about a man she had said was constantly coming to her apartment. A man presumably uh, was Dwyer. And we know that one text very, very soon before her death, and this was to Dwyer, said, Please don't let me die. Please don't kill me, sir. I don't want to die. I'm scared you're going to kill me. The third pillar of evidence would be their relationship, the relationship between Dwyer, which I kind of alluded to. There was a wealth of evidence that the two had an ongoing relationship despite Dwyer's initial denials. We have CCTV footage of him entering and leaving her apartment on various occasions in the lead up to her death, including one time when he's seen leaving with a backpack, which was matched to one found in the reservoir with um, Elaine's keys and the two phones. 
There's videos, of course, of him stabbing Miss O'Hara, which the jury saw. And then, obviously, most importantly, there's his admission that they did have a relationship. So we've heard some of what the jury was told about Dwyer O'Hara and their relationship. What other evidence was there? The fourth category, circa is perhaps the most important. That That's the three phones that were at the centre of this case. They kind of became known as the 083 phone, which was never found, but belonged to Dwyer. And its texts were saved to Elaine O'Hara's laptop. So Elaine O'Hara had a system where her texts would automatically back up to her laptop. And then two other phones, which became known as the master and slave phones. These were the two phones uh, found in the reservoir. And these were kind of burner phones. These were cheap enough phones that were found that could be used and then thrown away. The OA3 phone, let's start with that. Uh, Analysis retrieved 2,639 communications between this phone and Miss O'Hara's iPhone. These texts talked repeatedly about the urge to rape, stab and kill Elaine O'Hara. On another occasion, the user of this phone, which we now know as Dwyer, described four ways he could kill Miss O'Hara. Crucially then, he sent a message saying they needed to get new, untraceable pay-as-you-go phones, which he would get under fake names. Then the OA3 phone drops out of use and the master and slave phones come into use. He kept the master phone and gave the slave phone to Miss O'Hara. And these were in use in the weeks leading up to her death. There's many, many texts, but I'll just give you a flavour of some of them that, as I feel they're important to the case. One text to Elaine O'Hara said, if anything to happen to you, who knows about me? Another said, okay, but I must see blood and I want to do it outdoors. Uh, These texts continued up until August 21st, the day before Elaine was discharged from hospital. Uh, He wrote, I know you will be well bound and gagged, tied to a tree deep in a forest. I have a spot picked out. And on the day she disappears, he directs him to go down to a rural location and he says, go down to the shore and wait. And as we know, Elaine O'Hara's remains were found in a wooded, isolated area. That's a very broad overview of the evidence against Dwyer, which was used to convict him. Mr Dwyer sat hunched in the dock and sighed deeply. Mr Justice Hunt told the jury that he agreed with their decision 110% based on the evidence. Coming up... Graham Dwyer has already won some legal battles in his quest for freedom, but can he win his appeal? So at the end of the trial, the jury were unanimous in finding Dwyer guilty. Dwyer was sent to Midlands Prison in Port Leash to serve his life sentence, but he didn't accept his guilt and immediately began the process of appealing his conviction. Connor, what was the basis of Dwyer's appeal? Very little has come out about his appeal, yes, because... At the same time that he took that appeal, he took a challenge to the High Court about the use of the mobile phone data in the case. So the two are directly linked. The mobile phone data High Court case was a civil case that he was trying to take to get the court to rule that the mobile phone data was improperly obtained. And then that will feed into his appeal uh, case whenever that happens. Gardy had masses of evidence on the 083 phone and the master phone describing detailed plans for violence and they had no problem tying those phones to Elaine O'Hara because master and slave phones were found with her keys and glasses and the OA3 phones, its texts to Elaine O'Hara were backed up to her laptop. But the challenge was to tie them to Graham Dwyer. So during the trial, one of the ways they did that was the use of mobile phone metadata. The Guardi had this quite brilliant analyst uh, by the name of Sarah Sked who was able to 
track down what cell sites these phones uh, used. And she was able to determine that these phones used the same cell sites as Graham Dwyer's work phone, which is a phone they knew uh, for certain was owned by Graham mm -hmm. Dwyer. And a cell site, as you probably know, is just the tower that the phone connects to when it's in a certain area. So if you're in Dundalk, you'll connect to a certain cell site. And then if you travel over to Cavan, you will transfer to different cell sites so you can track people's movements. You know, if this happened a few times, it'd be coincidence. But the court heard that these phones followed his work phone like a shadow. You know, where the work phone went, these mm. other phones followed. And that included all the way out to the west of Ireland. So that's really conclusive evidence linking him to, to those phones. And they were also able to use this metadata to confirm that his main phone was turned off in the hours before the murder and turned back on afterwards. So that brings us back to Dwyer's case before the High Court. Gardy were able to tell what cell sites the phones were using by making a request to telecoms companies, which is something they do all the time. Uh, under a 2011 Act, these companies mm -hmm. are obliged to keep mobile phone metadata for two years. Uh, that Act was introduced to give effect to an EU directive, uh, which was uh, introduced to harmonise data retention across the European Union. However, the European Court of Justice later struck down that direction as overly broad. So Graham Dwyer argues that means that the Irish 2011 law, which gives effect to that direction, is also invalid and therefore follows that the Guardi had no power to get this metadata from the phone companies. Convicted murderer Graham Dwyer has won his legal action against the Garda Commissioner and the state over the law allowing data from mobile phones to be kept and to be assessed. So this case went all the way to the Irish Supreme Court, uh, who then referred it to the European Court of Justice. A national court, such as the Supreme Court, from which there is no further appeal, is obliged to make a reference to the Court of Justice of any issue of European Union law. The arguments were heard there last month. A ruling is expected sometime in the coming months that's going to be very keenly watched by a broad spectrum of people. So, Connor, what is the path forward for Dwyer's attempt to get out of jail now? So, all the indications are, and this is still speculation, but just kind of reading the tea leaves to a certain extent, all the indications are the European Court of Justice are going to rule that the Irish data retention regime is invalid. They've made similar rulings in separate but very similar cases concerning other countries. So if they do say that the Irish data retention regime is invalid, the matter will go back to the Supreme Court, which will likely strike down the Irish law. So that's obviously very good news for Graham Dwyer. It allows him to go back into the Court of Appeal, where his original appeal was lodged, and say, you know, this law that you used to get my phone records is invalid. You have to at least give me a retrial, and that evidence has to be excluded. And that's where it gets interesting. How does it get interesting? How does the court respond? The Court of Appeal can do one of three things. First thing it can do is it can accept his argument and order a retrial. The second thing it can do is accept that one point of the appeal is valid, i.e. the mobile phone evidence shouldn't have been admitted into the trial, but rule that the rest of the evidence surrounding it is so strong that you shouldn't get a retrial. Or it can reject his arguments completely on the basis of what's become known as the, the JC ruling. This was a ruling that was delivered actually only a month after Dwyer was convicted in 2015. And it's what former Supreme Court judge has called the most astounding judgment ever handed down by an Irish court. 
it ruled that in certain circumstances, if technically illegal or invalid evidence is used to convict someone, as long as the guards believed that that evidence was valid at the time and honestly held that belief, then that evidence could be admissible. Can you explain that a bit further? Just to use a simple enough example, if I if I was a guard and uh, went to search your house for drugs, mm. um, but I spelt circa wrong, technically beforehand that would have been, might have been grounds for uh, throwing out the results of the search in court. But now I could they just could call me as evidence and say, Garda Connor, you spelt circa wrong. Uh, was that an honest mistake? And it's like, yeah, my mother's name's Circa and she spells her name like that. I didn't realise there was another spelling of it. And the judge, under JC now, the judge can say, yeah, that's fair enough. It was an honest mistake. He was acting in good faith. The evidence of the search stays in. So what you're saying is the state can use evidence against you, even if they got that evidence illegally, as long as they didn't mean to get it illegally. So that's what's probably going to become crucial to the Graham Dwyer case. When the guards got this mobile phone evidence from the telecoms companies, they had no way of knowing that the regime would later be struck down by the European Court of Justice. The, you know, it just wasn't feasible. It wasn't a live issue. Uh, it was percolating through the European courts at the European level, but it hadn't filtered down to Ireland. And there's absolutely no reason for a guardie to suspect they were acting outside of the law. So under JC, and it's a very simple test, that evidence would stay in. So the uh, Court of Appeal in that instance can say, well, JC means this uh, mobile phone evidence stays in. So You've no chance of winning again at retrial, so no retrial. Or they could say, oh yeah, fair enough, the the mobile phone evidence is now invalid. Uh, You can have a retrial and the trial court can deal with the mobile phone evidence. And then in the trial court, they just do the JC test. So they ask the guard, did you honestly believe you had the legal right to this telecoms data? And the guard will say, yes, I did believe at the time. And then they just use all the same evidence again and just rerun the whole thing again. And you presumably get the exact same result, i.e. conviction. You've been speaking, Connor, to legal experts about whether Dwyer's retrial could be a real possibility or not and whether he could be convicted again. What are they saying to you? The consensus is that he has little to no chance of, of, of getting a retrial in the first place. And if there is a retrial, they still have more than enough evidence to convict him. But very, very few people think it has a chance of getting that far. Now, he does have other points of appeal, but... None of them, as far as I can uh, gather, are particularly strong or nearly as strong as the mobile phone stuff. Let's say Dwyer actually does win a retrial. What will happen then? So say the worst case scenario occurs and Dwyer does win a retrial and the mobile phone cell site evidence is excluded. It's unlikely, but stranger things have happened. Well, you still have the pillars one to three that I discussed earlier of the evidence. Um, And crucially, the state will still be able to use most of the mobile phone evidence uh, in that they'll still be able to link those phones to Dwyer. And that's because the cell site data was just one string to their bow during the trial. Analysts retrieved almost 3,000 communications between Dwyer's 083 phone and and Miss O'Hara's iPhone, which she had backed up onto her laptop. And these included lots of personal aspects of Dwyer's life, which could be used to link him directly uh, to the phone. Um, So included details like the birth of his baby daughter and her name, the information on his his hobby, which was flying model airplanes, and, you know, how he came fifth in a race one day, and Gardy were able to get the results of that model airplane race and discover that, yes, Graham Dwyer became fifth. 
other stuff like him um, getting a 15% pay code at work, which Gardy were able to confirm, him getting a €4,000 car repair, they found a receipt for that, and him discussing the killing of a, a US woman, uh, which we which we now know is this uh, Darcy woman who gave evidence in the trial. And all those messages would be admissible because they didn't come from the telecoms company. They came from Elaine O'Hara's laptop where all these mobile phone messages were, were backed up. So that links them to the OA3 phone. Linking them to the master phone, which was found in the reservoir along with the slave phone, um, and which was used in the, the weeks immediately preceding Miss O'Hara's death, is a little bit trickier uh, without the cell site uh, data. But you can still do it. For one thing, you can link the master phone to the OA3 phone, in which you can link to Dwyer, because at one stage in 2012, Dwyer texts Elaine and says, we need to start using untraceable pay-as-you-go phones. And then from that point on, he doesn't message her from the OA3 phone anymore, but the messages start up from the master phone. That links that phone to Dwyer through that avenue. And also the tenor of the messages sent from the master phone and the OA3 phone, they're the exact same type of thing being discussed, uh, you know, rape, murder, how he would do these certain things. So there are other ways. It's a little bit trickier with the master phone, but it's by no means an insurmountable uh, hill to climb. Despite his own personal confidence in a retrial and the potential that he might be released, is it safe to say that it is highly unlikely that Graham Dwyer will be walking free? Yeah, um, not to give a hostage to fortune, but yeah, it's incredibly unlikely Graham Dwyer is going to be successful based on this mobile phone data, at least, unless there's some other ace in his sleeve relating to the case. He doesn't have any reason to be optimistic about uh, even getting a retrial in the first place. And if he does get a retrial, the evidence is such that they should still have more than enough to convict him uh, in front of a, a, a reasonable jury. Just stepping back to the European Court of Justice's decision on the retention of data, which we're expecting now, what would be the international implication of this judgment and what could it mean for future criminal investigations and prosecutions which rely on mobile phone data. This could have absolutely massive implications. So the authorities, the Gardaí and the officials in the Department of Justice and the DPP's office are, are very worried about this. And it really has little to do with Graham Dwyer, even though he's the one who took the case. Uh, and that's because the JC case will likely protect the evidence as it relates to Graham Dwyer and other investigations from that time because the Gardaí would be able to use that evidence because they were acting in good faith when they got it but going forward mm. they won't have that excuse so if Gardaí were to start a murder mm. investigation now knowing that this was a live issue they could get the telecoms data from the, the companies uh, probably but they wouldn't be able to use it in a trial you know, which obviously severely limits their cases because like a huge amount of serious crime cases, including all the investigations relating to the Hutch killing feud and the Reed Sea Hotel shooting and all those subsequent murders, it used uh, this mobile phone metadata. It's really, really important uh, from the point of view of Gardaí and prosecutors. Uh, so that if the ECJ strikes it down, that's going to create a big problem for, for the uh, prosecuting authorities. Now, there is the general heads of uh, bill um, that's been floating around for the last couple of years, which they think might fix some of these issues. If the ECJ strike it down, 
it won't everything won't collapse immediately it'll still have to go back to the supreme court who will take their time maybe take another couple of months to figure out how to interpret the ecj's uh, findings and that'll give the government time to introduce uh, this bill but who knows what roadblocks that bill will run into and even if that will be enough to to fix the problem the the issue here is the ecj's point is you can't have a mass data retention you can't indiscriminately collect everyone's mobile phone data and store it for two years because lots of these people have or vast vast majority of these people haven't done anything wrong uh but they say targeted uh retention is okay but the guards will say well we're not mind readers we can't tell who's going to commit a crime so we can't retain just the data of the people we think are going to commit a crime. So there has to be some other workaround. The solution to that is not at all clear. That's all for today. You can read more from Conor Gallagher on Graham Dwyer's appeal and the European Court of Justice decision on data retention at irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.